If you have your Bible or your Bible's on your device this morning, open to Ecclesiastes 11. We're starting to get to the good part. I mean, you preach all the rest of Ecclesiastes to kind of get up to this stuff at the end. I told you a few weeks ago that for me, the book of Ecclesiastes is kind of like your weird Uncle Fred. Um, it may not be named Fred, or it may be Aunt Thelma or something, and, but you have some weird uncle or some weird aunt, and it is the person who shows up really late to the family get-together, or more likely, really early. I mean, too early. You're like, man, it doesn't start for another hour. What are you doing here? And then after it's over, and the rest of, of the family has gone home, um, there's Fred. Yeah. Uh, everybody's left, you know, and you know, you're kind of like, wow, wasn't it great to be here today? So glad you could make it. Doesn't budge, just sits there on your couch. Um, you know, and maybe even uh, you're starting to get dark outside and you and your wife are putting on your pajamas. Fred is still there. Fred, weird Uncle Fred, doesn't know when to come, doesn't know when to leave, doesn't know what to say, doesn't know what not to say. It's just awkward. Ecclesiastes is the weird Uncle Fred of the Bible. Ecclesiastes doesn't say what we think a Bible book should say, right? We don't think a Bible book should say over and over and over again, life meaningless. But that's what Solomon, that's what the message of this book says over and over again. Life is meaningless. Under the sun in this world that we can see and experience, um, life is pretty much meaningless. And that's what, that's what the, 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 the over and over and over message is. So it is kind of awkward and it is kind of like, okay, okay, back off. You know, Lee, you can go home now. Let's get on to the book of Mark or something. You know what I mean? But, but Solomon just kind of hangs out, sits on our couch, and keeps telling us. It's like, um, I don't know if any of you guys remember the old Saturday Night Live skit, Debbie Downer. You guys remember that? <laughs> Debbie Downer was great. Um, Solomon is kind of like that. I mean, Debbie Downer, if, if you haven't seen it, Debbie Downer is like the person who always says that when everything's starting to get good and funny and enjoyable, comes in with that zinger of a comment that just takes the air out of a room. I mean, Labor Day, maybe you're out there grilling your hot dogs and hamburgers. You got some neighbors over. Debbie Downer is the one that walks up and says, um, those hot dogs smell great. You know what those are made of? <laughs> okay, so Solomon is like, wow, relationship's great. You know she's going to die, right? Everybody dies. Oh, wow, you know, all this stuff is fantastic, but it's going to end. It's meaningless. It's futile. And that's really what Solomon does over and over again. So what I want you to do this morning, there's an outline in the bulletin. Start out with two questions um, to kind of get the, the thought going this morning of, of where we're going to head. And, and the two questions have to do with what you think about God. You may not even believe in God. So maybe for you, I'm asking you, what do you think about the concept of God? All right? For some people, um, the concept of God is, is, is like this, or this question kind of represents it. Do you think that God, or the concept of God, is a limiting factor? All right? God is a limiting factor that restrains and constrains me. God, when you hear that word or when you think about God, you think about restrictions. You think about, no, don't do that. No, don't touch that. Um, is that what you think about? Or when you think about God, do you think about a freeing relationship? Okay, so the first one was limiting factor. Second one, do you think maybe that God is a freeing relationship that releases and inspires me. Because you can see God as either frustrating or freeing. All right? 
people are pretty much divided on this. You can see God as either frustrating or freeing. You can see God as this divine being who wants to make sure that you never have any fun, right? He is the maker not just of the heavens and earth, but the, makers of all, the maker of all sorts of rules to try to make sure that you don't enjoy the stuff that he's made, right? You can see God in that way, um, or you can see God as the fuel. You can see God as the one who gives you all of the resources that you need to live, to thrive, and to even go beyond this temporal life on earth. Well, Ecclesiastes is a wake-up call to see God, um, not only to see the reality of how all of the stuff under the earth, or under the sun, rather, all the stuff under the sun is not permanent, is not worthy of you trusting in. By the way, Solomon is going to tell us to enjoy that stuff. He's going to tell, tell us don't, don't trust in it. Solomon is basically in the book of, of Ecclesiastes putting a toe tag you know, on all of the stuff that we trust in and saying that is dead, that is dead, that's not going to bring you life. And the purpose of this very despairing, depressing book is to cause you to look for meaning and significance not under the sun, but to look to God. And today, in chapter 11, we begin to make that turn. So let's go to the text this morning. Ecclesiastes 11, we'll start in verse 7, and this is a perfect verse for today. Um, Verse 7, light is sweet, How pleasant to see a new day dawning. I mean, today is great. Today is sweet. Today is just, I mean, the weather has cooled off. The sun is shining. And you know, not every day is going to be like that. But Solomon is basically saying there are going to be days that are good. Enjoy those days. Enjoy those days. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't think about next week. If today is good, if the coffee tastes good today, if the schedule is working out today, if the kids are behaving today, enjoy it. There are days that are going to be like that. They may be few and far between, but enjoy those days. Verse 8, when people live to be very old, let them rejoice in every day, all right? every day when you get old, because every day is a blessing. I'm still here. I woke up this morning. Hallelujah. But let them also remember that there will be many dark days. Everything still to come is meaningless. So, I mean, yeah, a little negative, a little Debbie Downer there, but he's, he's balancing us finally. He's saying there's good, there's dark. Enjoy the good, but remember the stuff here under the sun is still meaningless. Don't count on it. Now a word to the young. Verse 9, young people, isn't it wonderful to be young? Enjoy every... Isn't it, I mean, thinking about how wonderful it is to be young. When you're young, I'll never forget the time, and this was against our will um, as parents, but Claudia was like three or four months old. She was way too young to be eating anything except milk, you know. But I remember the youth minister at the church in Norman, Oklahoma, while he was holding her and we were in another room, he was feeding her a brownie. All right? And she was loving it. When you're young, everything is great or awful. I mean, it's either here or it's here. 
I mean, it's like, you know, a tickle or a smile or whatever. They're just, when you're young, it's, it's, you're so alive. And so he says, enjoy it. I don't think he's talking to toddlers here, but you get the point. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. But remember, you must give an account to God for everything you do. So refuse to worry. Keep your body healthy. But remember that youth with a whole life before you is meaningless. Verse 12, don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him in your mouth before you grow old and say, life is not pleasant anymore. So he says, enjoy your youth because nobody is getting any younger. Nobody is younger now than when they woke up this morning. We're all a little bit older. We're all a couple of steps closer to the grave than when we woke up this morning. He says, you're not getting any younger. Enjoy. There will come a time when just getting out of bed hurts. (laughs) Your knees hurt and there's no real reason they hurt. I mean, there will come a time when you could sleep in, but you wake up at four and you can't go back to sleep. There will come that day. He says, enjoy this moment when you're young, when things are clicking, when your body doesn't hurt. Enjoy that. Enjoy, the t- enjoy these days when you don't have to put your teeth in in order to enjoy a meal because the time is coming. If you're blessed to live long enough, you're going to need to do that. All right, so this is his message. And then he's going to start this poem, which I'm sure was very beautiful when he wrote it in that time. The, a lot of the metaphors that, or the images he uses, we would not use those today, which is one reason I'm going to do the New Living Translation on this, which basically kind of translates those for our time. If you don't have a New Living, I'll just say, like you got the NIV or the King James or New Revised Standard, he's going to talk about different things as he works through the aging process. He's going to talk about the grinders, not grinding. And when he talks about that, these are all parts of the body. The grinders are the teeth. When the grinders don't grind anymore, he's going to talk about, you know, when, when the windows of the house get dim, when they're kind of, when, when, when you can't see clearly, he's talking about the eyes. He's going to talk about the keepers of the house, either the shoulders and the arms. He's going to talk about the strong men of the house, which are your legs. And he's finally going to talk about um, when the almond tree blossoms, right? When the almond tree blossoms, it turns white. So he's going to talk about, you know, your hair is turning white. And it's this poem about aging. We'll pick it up. And again, I'm going to read from the New Living um, Translation. Picking it up in, in chapter 12. Remember him. Remember him before the light of the sun, moon, and stars is dim to your old eyes. And rain clouds continually darken your sky. Remember him. Before your legs, the guards of your house start to tremble. And before your shoulders, the strong men stoop. Remember him before your teeth, the grinders. Remember him before your teeth. The few remaining servants stop grinding. And before your eyes, the women looking through the windows see dimly. Remember him before the door to life's opportunities is closed and the sound of work fades. Now you rise at first 
chirping of the birds. You couldn't sleep to 6 6 a.m. to save your life. Any noise and you're awake. Remember him then. But then all of their sounds grow faint. Verse 5, remember him before you become fearful of falling. Teenagers don't worry about falling, you know. But at some point you will. Remember him before you become fearful of falling and worry about the danger in the streets. Before your hair turns white like an almond tree in bloom, and you drag, I love this one, and you drag along without energy like a dying grasshopper. (laughs) And the caperberry no longer inspires sexual desire. Remember him before you near the grave, your everlasting home, when the mourners will weep at your funeral. Yes. Remember your Creator while you are young. And then he's going to use some metaphors for death. Before the silver cord of life snaps, the golden bowl is broken. Don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the spring. The pulley is broken at the well. For then, dust will return to the earth, and spirit will return to God who gave it. This is a text about aging. This is also a text about living, about living in whatever season of life you find yourself living grounded on God, enjoying the world he's made, but, in, but being grounded on God. And in this text, starting in verse 7 of chapter 7, we begin to see God's desire for us, God's passion for you, what he wants your life to look like and feel like, what he wants your experience in your short time here to be like, all right? And so we're going to work through some of these ideas. The first one is this, relish. God wants you to relish your life. Solomon says, do, verse 9 of chapter 11, do everything you want to do. Take it all in. Enjoy the ride. God made this world, and he wants you to enjoy this world. And you may be thinking, hang on a second. This is in the Bible? I thought the Bible was supposed to be full of stuff I'm not supposed to do. I mean, what? This is from the Bible telling me to enjoy the ride and do whatever I want to do? I mean, I can't believe this. But also we have him saying, but remember, while you're enjoying yourself, also remember, you will give account to God, right, for the things you're going to do. At some point, he's going to ask you, what did you do with all that I invested in you? So this is hardly an invitation to throw off morality and and throw off any kind of restriction on your life. I mean, in fact, the call to honor God is a call to really live. It's when we are connected to God that we become less connected to all this stuff that will frustrate us. You can really enjoy money. You can really enjoy a trip. You can really enjoy a relationship. You can really enjoy these things when you have this perspective. I love this. I enjoy this. um, But this is not where my faith rests. This is not what I'm counting on ultimately. Then you can enjoy these these things. So the pages of Scripture, I believe not just in Ecclesiastes, but from Genesis page 1 all the way to Revelation, present to us 
a God who is alive, who is interacting with his creation, and a creative God, the God who made the peacock, the God who made the, the, you know, the dolphin and the butterfly and the hummingbird and the blue bonnets and this galaxy, this universe that we can't even begin to appreciate even with, with our Hubbles and all of our other stuff at this point. I mean, we're, we're amazed constantly. And so this is, a, this is a call to relish it, to be amazed. And for you, maybe because of your scientific training, your amazement and your delight is going to be looking through the lens of a microscope or looking through a telescope or you're just going to be blown away by something God just puts in the middle of an otherwise ordinary day. I mean, I remember living in Rio one time. A lot of cool, exotic plants and wildlife and stuff down there. But I remember one day, swung open these big wooden um, shutters we had over our bedroom window, threw those open, and there in this tree, about 30 feet outside of our window, were these two toucans. And they were awesome. Um, it, you know, I thought, I thought there was going to be uh, some advertisement for Fruit Loops or something all of a sudden. But there are these two toucans. And, and toucans, are, while they're native to Brazil, they're not really native to Rio. So I don't know where they came from. It was a, an unusual sight. And I thought for a second, I did call Isla, but I thought about going to get the camera. And then I thought, no, if I go to get the camera, I'm going to come back and they're not going to be here. So we just stood there and watched these birds until they flew away. And God gives you these moments, and it may be the blue bonnets. It, it may be the sunrise this morning or tomorrow when you're going for your early morning jog. But, but relish those. Enjoy those things. We, we are presented by, uh, let me put it this way. I believe God reveals himself in many ways. Right? I believe God reveals himself through his creation. And in his creation, we see this um, good humor of God and some, some of the animals that he made that are just kind of curious and kind of funny. We see God's creativity, God's, God's outside-the-box you know, artistry. We see that in the created world. We see that in Scripture. We see Solomon telling us, look, God made the world. It's good. Enjoy it. And then we see it in well, check this out. I believe God's most complete, full revelation, it's not in the created world, although it does reveal some things about God. I believe God's complete, full revelation of himself is not in the Bible. Forgive me for that. The Bible, and I say that because the Bible says, the Bible says the complete, full, 100% accurate revelation of God is in Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, first few verses. If you want to see God, if you want to see all of his beauty, all of his love, all of his grace, all of his power, Jesus says, it's me. It's me. So we see this God who calls us into abundance and into life through Scripture, through the created world, through Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, He says, My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So as we work through this chapter, uh, these verses from verse 7 of, of chapter 11 through verse 7 of chapter 12, we're going to let Jesus be the commentary this morning. Right? And so Solomon is going to tell us something. We're going to see its fulfillment 
in Jesus. God tells us, go enjoy life. Jesus says, you're going to find that enjoyment and that fullness in me. Again, this raises those questions I asked earlier. Is your God a restrictive killjoy, or is your God a, a, a limitless, life-giving, uh, life-giving, 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 inspiring God? Jesus says, I came so that you could have life and have it in abundance. You could have a rich and satisfying life. All right? So when religion makes God seem boring and burdensome, that religion is not of the Scriptures and is not of Jesus Christ. Um, now, Solomon, this is why we need Jesus to kind of be the commentary here. Solomon throws out these, these ideas that seem very easy for him to throw out, but I'm kind of asking how, right? So Solomon is going to come in and say, okay, this big, awesome, created world that you can enjoy, well, he says there's going to be something that's going to make it hard for you to enjoy it, and that is worry. (laughs) That is anxiety. And so Solomon's answer, don't worry. That's easy enough, right? I mean, he says refuse, refuse to worry. Verse 10, choose to stress less. Easy to say, Solomon, how? Again, Jesus is the how. Because you may read that and you may be thinking, okay, but my mom still has Alzheimer's. Okay, but in two months I'm going to still get my last unemployment check. I mean, you may be thinking, how do I do that? Because my problems are real. Well, one thing that the faith perspective does for us, one thing when we are not tied exclusively or primarily into this world under the sun, the faith perspective reminds me that everything I worry about under the sun has a very short shelf life. These worries that I have today, I probably won't have them in five years. I certainly will not have the worries I have today in a hundred years. I promise you that. All the stuff that I tie my worries to that is about this world will go away. So ultimately, faith in Jesus is the way. And Jesus, wasn't he the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life? He becomes the way to freeing myself from worry. The world is not the way, right? Your 401k will probably worry you sometimes. Um, Your job situation will probably worry you sometimes. Your relationship to your wife will probably worry you sometimes. Even the very best things that we enjoy that are given to us by God here will worry us sometimes. Jesus says... I am offering you something different. He says in John chapter 14, verse 27, and I love this. I know you love this too, John Scott. Great verse. Jesus says, I'm leaving with you a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Don't be troubled or afraid. Accept my gift 
Accept the gift that comes from Jesus. Not, it's not coming through a bottle. It's not coming through 10 easy steps to a worry-free life. It is coming from the person of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, developing a relationship with Him and learning to trust Him and to accept the gift of peace that He gives. Now, this is a fascinating turn in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is a turn from telling us everything that doesn't matter to beginning to say, you know what, there are some things that do matter. And God is something that matters deeply. The faith dimension matters deeply because the faith dimension is going to last more than 30 years, 40 years, or 100 years. It will outlive your physical life here on this earth. So, the next turn that he makes is, is he's been telling us everything's meaningless. He's been saying, that's meaningless, that's meaningless, that's meaningless. Finally, he says, you know, there is something that has some meaning. And what you do with your life here on earth does have some meaning. The next thing on your outline is this. Remember, remember, life does have meaning. He asks us in, in verse 9 of chapter 11, remember that you must give an account to God for everything you do. So make your life count. Okay? Your life can be an instrument of glory for God. Your life can lead other people closer to God. Your life was intended to count. It was intended to matter. And so while he's been telling us through the whole book, nothing matters, he finally says, well, there is something that matters. What you do with the investments God has poured into your life, God is going to want to see if you make a return on those investments. He's going to want to see how you do with that. And then once again, Jesus comes in and Jesus says, let me tell you how to live a life that makes an impact. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says, yes, I am the vine. You are the branches, right? The, the vine is planted into the soil. The vine brings nourishment into the branches disconnected from the vine, the branches don't have a chance. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In me, what you do can have an eternal impact on the world. So, so part of this is a call by Jesus. Connect to me. Love me. Grow in fellowship with me. Deepen your friendship with me. And through me, you will produce fruit. So using your money for the kingdom of God, using your time for the kingdom of God, using a burden that's on your heart to glorify God and serve people, those things do matter. When you're connected to Jesus Christ, they matter. And they can make an eternal difference. The Lord has made an investment in you. He has made an investment in me. He has given us each um, all sorts of things, right? Influence and relationships and, and money and jobs and perhaps health. And he expects us to use those for his glory. Jesus says, connect to me. Connect to my mission to love God and love people and watch me bless your work. Right. And then the final thing. This is the biggest turn in Ecclesiastes so far, and it is a beautiful turn. This is the call, return to me. Return, all right? He says in verse 7 of chapter 12, the Spirit will return to God who gave it. The Spirit will return to God who gave it. 
whatever you believe, I believe there is a voice in you. There are, there, there's a sense in you that you weren't created for this place. There is a stirring in you that says there is something more. And God says, look, what that is, this is just the opening credits, you know. This life here under the sun for 60 years or 80 years or 18 years, whatever it is that you have here, these are the opening credits. Your spirit is coming back to me. Eternity is waiting for you. And then Jesus comes along and Jesus says, because you may be asking, how is that possible? Jesus comes along and he says this. Verse, in, in John 11, verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Empty, wishful thinking, crazy religious thinking. Um, not when you actually then die and three days later are resurrected from the dead. And a lot of his closest disciples, the true believers, they scatter. As soon as he dies, they're gone. I mean, it's over. He's dead. But then they see him alive. In the book of John, they see him cooking breakfast for them on the beach beside the lake. They eat breakfast with the guy they saw die on a cross. Or for most of them, heard that he died on the cross. And that changes everything. And then what would have been extinguished psh, as just another fanciful religious idea becomes the biggest faith group on planet earth. I'm not saying that's all good. Bigger is not always better in that respect. Um, but something happened, and it was that something is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And he tells you, if you believe in me, you will live even after this body dies. I wish I could, um, I wish I could write like Charles Spurgeon. He was a 19th century preacher, famous preacher. I love what he writes. Um, it's a commentary on Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. The verse goes like this. By his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. Right. Talking about Jesus and Satan. By his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. And then Spurgeon writes these words. O child of God, death has lost its sting because the devil's power over it has been destroyed. Living near the cross of Calvary, thou mayst think of death with pleasure and welcome it when it comes with intense delight. It is sweet to die in the Lord. It is a covenant blessing to sleep in Jesus. Death is no longer banishment. It is a return from exile, a going home to the many mansions where the loved ones already dwell. The distance between 
The glorified saints in heaven and the militant saints on earth seems great, but it is not so. We are not far from home. A moment will bring us there. The sail is spread. The soul is launched upon the deep. How long will be its voyage? How many wearying winds must beat upon the sail ere it shall be reefed in the port of peace? How long shall that soul be tossed upon the waves before it comes to that sea which knows no storm? Listen to the answer, and then he quotes from the Bible. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Yon ship has just departed, but it is, al- it is already at its haven. It did but spread its sail, and it was there. Like that ship of old upon the lake of Galilee, a storm had tossed it, but Jesus said, Peace be still. Immediately it came to land. Think not that a long period intervenes between the instant of death and the eternity of glory. When the eyes close on earth, they open in heaven. Then, O child of God, what is there for thee to fear in death? seeing that through the death of thy Lord, its curse and its sting are removed. And now it is but a Jacob's ladder, whose foot is in the dark grave, but its top reaches to glory everlasting. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, the Spirit will return to God.